0: Hello and welcome to Risk Chats with A Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with three guests about a brand new book that is coming out in the A Firm ERM world called Public Sector Enterprise Risk Management Moving Beyond the Basics. So, we'll be speaking with Cynthia Bitters, Sean Vineyard, and Ken Fletcher. So, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So today we're discussing a new book that's coming out in the ERM world and uh, we have three of our uh, folks in the community that helped put this together in our A-Firm community. Uh, so let's start off by introducing everybody. So we have Sean Vineyard here.
1: Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm Sean Vineyard and did you want us to sorry.
0: Yeah, give a little background. Go for it.
1: so <laughs> um, yes, my name Sean Vineyard. Uh, I'm the managing director for 11th Hour Service and, and lead our public sector practice. Okay, and Ken?
2: Hi, Ken Fletcher. Um, I'm heading my own consulting c- company, uh, focusing on public sector ERM government, federal government clients, uh, having retired from federal service as the chief risk officer at the Transportation Security Administration. Great, and we have Cynthia
0: Vitters too.
3: Hi, my name's Cynthia Vitters. I currently um, serve as managing director for Deloitte, where I lead the enterprise risk management practice for GPS.
0: Okay, well, so let's start off, um, how about Ken, why don't you give us a little uh, of the basic information, the name of the book, you know, uh, when it's coming out, some of the key pieces about
2: that. So the book is uh, titled Public Sector Enterprise Risk Management Advancing Beyond the Basics, and the title is, is somewhat descriptive of what we were trying to accomplish most organizations are many organizations are at the point where they've they've got the basics down you know the the artifacts as, as i would call them they have a policy document they've got a maturity model things from the erm playbook but organizations particularly government organizations are inherently resistive to change and adopting new approaches and so and this is, our focus of this book is really some ideas and theories about how federal and other public sector entities can overcome those organizational cultural barriers to, that, that really impede ERM from reaching a mature level where, where it starts adding value to the organization rather than an investment of time, people and other resources to stand it up, which before it can really get to the point where it's adding both tactical and, and strategic value. Right. And so why did you all think this
0: was a good time to, to write this book?
2: Well, the idea actually came up um, as we were having lunch at the 2017 or 2016 affirm Sum- 2017 affirm summit. Um, Tom Stanton, who's the co-editor with with me on the book, were, we're chatting and Tom had written a, uh, an earlier book mm-hmm. with Doug Webster that came out a number of years ago that was really focused on the basics, introducing ERM concepts to both risk practitioners within government, but but more importantly, policymakers and and folks that weren't necessarily associated and familiar with ERM. And so chatting with Tom during lunch and reflecting on uh, many of the breakout sessions and some of the plenary speakers, he said, "You know, I think I think there's an appetite to refresh and move beyond where we had left the last book. Would you be interested in in going in on that project with me?" And right. so I would never never gone down the uh, let's write and edit a book uh, road before. Um, so I said, "Sure," not knowing what I was <laughs> getting into, um, and um, and it really built the theme of the book on culture, really built off of. Um, that theme that was kind of woven through many other presentations and breakout sessions at the uh, 2017 summit
0: Right, and there's quite a few authors involved, right? So it's not just the three of us in the room here, right?
2: Yeah, we have uh, most of the chapters are co-written by several individuals Um uh, we have a, a series of case studies mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning of the book, and then follow uh, following on with uh, a number of select special topics of, of keen interest to I think the the federal and public sector ERM community. Um, so. Uh, Frank Vitrano and Jason Stey- um wrote a chapter on their experience in establishing and overcoming some of the cultural challenges at the Federal Housing Administration. Uh, Ken Phelan and Karen Weber from Treasury um, uh, contributed a chapter on their experiences and how, the, how they were able to uh, embed ERM as part of Treasury's um, internal culture. Right. Um, and Jennifer Hills and Sean Cantanazzi from King County, Washington, contributed a chapter on uh, on their experiences in implementing ERM, what motivated them to, to move forward with ERM in King County, um, and why the county government and county council were acceptan- accepting yeah. of, taking this step to I- introduce something that, that, quite frankly, wasn't very common amongst any level of, of government governmental organizations. So it's special cases, yeah. and then we have a number of select special topics, and we can talk about those uh, right. later. Right. Well, time. yeah, we
0: actually had Jennifer on the podcast, so go back and look for that one. It's a really interesting uh, case study. King County is very, yeah, I like what they're doing with the RM out there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't we dive into some chapters? Um, who wants to go first? <laughs> in different directions (laughs) Um, so really the the
1: chapter that I supported uh, is so enhancing capabilities and culture through effective coordination of enterprise risk management and internal control so Mm -hmm. uh, about as long as a title as you can get (laughs) but um, really the driving force behind this chapter came from Uh, One of the really the first instances was when a firm set up the Ask the Experts panel, which I've supported I think two years or so now, Mm -hmm. when we first opened that up we got a flood of questions and I would say, not exaggerating, 60% of them were in some way or some form related to what's the difference between ERM and internal control? If my ERM program is coming from the CFO community, how do I make sure that they're unique and distinct? So a lot of questions concerning uh, sort of just how the two work together. Right. Um, So what we did last year is, through our efforts with the Affirm Summit is, uh, we actually had a dedicated session, and we were thankful enough to have um, Nahala and April from NIST lead that session to kind of um, sort of spearhead some initial detailed uh, discussion on uh, how NIST specifically addressed that integration or coordination oh. of... ERM and internal control so it was really well attended people loved it and thankfully we were kind of already on the path to to this book but I think we got so many inquiries afterwards and thoughts on how much they enjoyed that and how much people uh, would love some more detail That I think it kind of uh, fueled the fire for the need for, for this chapter and so when Ken had approached me about the book and we had discussed the topic you know, I was thrilled that we had this avenue to really provide that detail mm-hmm. to, to both the ERM and internal control community.
2: And this is a real pain point amongst yeah. the federal community. Right. You know, A123 and the playbook talked to the integration of ERM and internal controls, right. but there is absolutely no practical guidance on, mm-hmm. or even a, a real explanation as to what does it mean to integrate,
0: yeah. and the
2: diagram in the playbook, the little circle diagram kind of reflects you know, internal controls as a subset of the ERM program, mm-hmm. and that's the way many people think about it. So this chapter, I think, was really helps answer that question in a way that hasn't been answered before. Right. Um, what does it mean and what are some of the pitfalls um, that you should be mindful of as you're going down that integration road?
1: Right, yeah, Yeah. and I think that point that Ken makes, that was one of the driving factors is, you know, and it's, it's no fault uh, to policymakers or anyone. I mean, OMB, with not having any sort of concrete legislation that supported ERM and we, yeah. we still are lacking that today, right. is, you know, they, they release it through OMB Circular A123, which was what they had to do to get this done. They got guidance out there, so no one's faulting them, but I think because of that, that sort of began the stem for what's caused some of the confusion because that's inherently a CFO organization's right. guidance, right? Right. And so that I think has led to some of the confusion. It's, it's there now, we're working to, to to coordinate and kind of collaborate so people can create those unique programs mm-hmm. and so again when kenneth approached me and said okay well i think this would be a great topic and and we also need to discuss the impacts on organizational culture and performance you know i, I immediately thought of um a good friend of mine uh quimby kaiser who leads uh kpmg's people and change practice and she's just a brilliant person when it comes to, to organizational culture and so uh, when her and I first started talking it was I was actually shocked to, to figure out how it was how important uh, the integration and coordination of the two programs were in improving organizational culture and and performance and so the the goal of this chapter is really focusing on sort of the practical applications to, to effectively coordinate um, and potentially integrate if you choose to do so ERM and internal control activity and so, Um, The goal of the chapter is really to provide readers with a way to simplify sort of a seemingly complex undertaking um, in order to improve overall capabilities, outcomes, organizational culture. Um, And so it does that by kind of breaking it down or breaking down the purpose of ERM and internal control, really trying to clarify what is unique and what's not. going into really a more comparison of sort of the critical elements of each of those programs so people can better understand where there's overlap and where there's some of that uniqueness Um, understanding some of the the role that integration and coordination plays in the advancement of organizational culture um, and then actually providing some coordination techniques how how can you get started as an organization to actually coordinate or integrate these two programs Mm -hmm. Um, and then like Ken was mentioning uh, you know, we do present some considerations for people to ki- take into to thought prior to coordinating or integrating. Um, some of them are pitfalls, but just things yeah. to make sure you're aware of these things prior to getting mm-hmm. into this effort.
0: Yeah, just anecdotally, I, you know, I'm curious. Do you guys see out there the agencies that start their ERM programs with the CFO maybe do a better job at this? The ones that don't, because it just you know they may own the internal auditor, the A123 review team. You know, or or I don't know, just just throwing it out there. But what have you guys seen?
1: I think I've seen a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, for for the most part, it, it honestly depends on leadership. It it depends yeah. on so many factors because I've I've supported large organizations that it's in the CFO community and it's it's very well integrated. And then inversely, I've supported some that it's not. Right. There's so, instances yeah. like like now in April that there's is a different organization and mm-hmm. they. Work together very well right
3: well and I think what's interesting I would agree with you Sean it is a complete mixed bag but it comes down to a lot of the cultural pieces of the organization that existed and I mean I've seen the same thing but oftentimes when there's a strong culture um, of risk or understanding of risk it's helped that alignment happen I'm sure your chapter talks about yeah (laughs) but but it, it is kind of that baseline. Yeah.
2: That yeah. The but there's influences. really kinda there's really kind of two schools of thought. One is integration can happen and it can be beneficial to both ERM and internal controls. Mm-hmm. And there's another school of thought that there should be no integration, that mm-hmm. even if the two programs report up to the same agency executive, that there needs to be a Chinese firewall placed between. There shouldn't be any sharing and transfer of information across that that artificial boundary because it will contaminate Hmm. either the internal controls view or the um, uh, ERM view and I I finally uh, quite frankly I don't understand the rationale behind creating that separation because it, it breeds. Um, competition that's not healthy Mm -hmm. and it breeds inefficiency within the organization rather than sharing approaches and thoughts, um, keeping them separate doesn't make any sense to me. So I think Um, A123 has it right when it says you need to integrate. Now that's been reinforced by you know Appendix A that talks very specifically about the need for integration, Um, but you have to be careful about what you do. ERM can't become an internal controls program and internal controls shouldn't become an ERM program. They need to re- re- remain in their separate lanes, but there's huge opportunities for synergy between the two. Yeah,
1: and I think actually in, in writing this um, in this chapter, I was consulting actually with, with Tom Brandt, and I think he said that's what's been some of the confusion that he's seen as well is that integration, people are taking that sometimes almost too literal, mm-hmm. right? Saying by integrating these have to be one in the same right. which is not the case. Okay. So and it's it's funny because actually the title was initially focused on integrating ERM and internal controls and we actually shifted to to coordinating ERM and internal control because because of that confusion, right? So I think that was something that was important to stress is the interpretation of integration does not necessarily mean this has to be one in the same program because they are unique.
0: Okay, well, Cynthia, why don't we talk a little bit about your chapter?
3: Great, thank you, Paul. So um, title of my chapter, our chapter, um, Cultivating and Measuring Culture Risk to Achieve Forward Momentum on ERM. So another mouthful, no. <laughs> <laughs> and just I mean I guess backing it up a little bit of background with the book itself and um, the topic of the book, and I, I know I remember I remember that lunch, Ken, that we were all sitting at the round table, and I remember thinking, um, just going back to my days at Federal Student Aid. I mean I was helping support and implement and you know lead that program for a duration of what was twelve years which is actually a really long time to be in one agency, um, kind of watching what was going on. And, you know, I I just remember thinking that, you know, culture is such an important component. And when I thought about the things that I saw over a period of 12 years of time around, one, seeing the the change in culture that occurred over that time as it related to supporting enterprise risk, but also just in the very beginning thinking about the topic and and it was kind of like, you know, we talk about ERM as a change management initiative and people would go like, what are you talking about? And they just had no idea. And I think that as we get to where we're at today, there's so much learning from that, but also, you know, even that culture has changed where people now do understand how much of a change management initiative it is. So I just remember being really excited about, you know, the topic and the book and how it applied to that whole setting. And so um, just kind of the backstage. But then when we talked about, you know, what would make sense as far as a contribution of a chapter, we talked about you know, thinking about it from a more formalized approach, and are there ways that we can really look at how we, we measure that. Um, and so you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the gist of our chapter is around measurement. But, you know, just a little bit of the flavor. We start off just talking about what is culture risk. So, And I think that's great because every time we talk about ERM, everyone has their different idea of what, what it is. And I'm sure as we read this chapter, we might see different themes of what people define as culture risk. I don't know. We'll see how it all comes out. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we talk a little bit about why why is it important and that gets into you know some of the things i've talked about even though chapters in a case study it's just you know why is it so critically important that we think about this when we think about risk management programs and you know there's always been thought about how much it's like a core component of the base of it um but i think even today it's a core component of the base but we went off and did all these things and now we're coming back and reflecting and saying it's so important to make things work um, and then we get into how we manage and measure culture risk, and we do put forth um, kind of a, 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 an organized approach around how one might do that. And you know, just to give you a preview, um, it, I mean, it is a culture risk framework. So just like there's an enterprise risk management framework mm-hmm. that is out there, we also put forth an idea of, you know, if you want to really get into the measurement and and kind of get it in the weeds of this, you can put forth and you know use a framework to to look at it. Um, and then we talk a little bit about just where where we go from from here. Um, and so you know I mean that's that's kind of the gist um, of, of things of, of what the chapter's about. Great. so
0: well, and I'm sorry, so I think did you, you mention there's the culture cultural risk and risk culture that's two different things. Is that right?
3: Yeah, and you will see a little <laughs> bit of that discussion okay. in in the chapter. Um, yeah, which right, is, we'll, yeah.
0: We'll leave that as a suspenseful item that for can, you. Guys that, can to be the, about. that can be the, the, the suspense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, why don't we wrap it up with Ken? Give us a little about your chapter and then maybe hit on uh, you know any other chapters that uh, we didn't talk about.
2: So, you're right about what you know, right? So, um, my case study was on how we got to enterprise risk management at the Transportation Security Administration. And unlike many organizations where it Came from the internal controls, financial services um, world. TSA came from our core operational passenger and baggage screening function, mm-hmm. and uh, was fortunate to be a part of uh, of the group that that moved the agency from one size fits all to um, uh, risk based security. You know. TSA pre-check as most people um, think about that today. And the lessons that we learned, I mean, that was a huge transition for not just the agency, but for the transportation industry and for federal government. There was so much of what had been, um, you know, of that one-size-fits-all philosophy that was embedded in the national strategy for transportation security, national strategy for counterterrorism, um, combating terrorism travel. All of these documents and approaches for more than a decade were based on anybody can go bad and, therefore, Everybody needs to be treated the same, essentially the same way. And so the lessons that we learned and many of the approaches that we took to change the culture of the operational component of the Agency for Passenger Screening, we imported over to um, our efforts for uh, standing up the ERM program. And so it was really. Success in TSA PreCheck that led the agency leadership at the time to say, "How do we take this risk philosophy and expand that to everything that the agency does, both on the mission operations as well as the business operations side of the house?" Um, and ERM was a great framework to work with in order to be able to do that. And so the focus of the chapter, beyond a little bit of the, the history, is the elements of change that we that we developed and used um, for TSA PreCheck, and how we were able to leverage those um, approaches as we began to implement the enterprise risk management program. And so what's interesting in, in most of the chapters, and mine included, and Sean talked about it, as well as to Cynthia. Um, this the book has an interesting mix between real-world practical experience and kind of thought leadership on some of these topics and theory you know here are real world um, the the culture change or or risk culture model Um, Sean has uh, embedded a a, the Burke Litwin um, change management model Mm -hmm. you know I introduce you know kind of a four quadrant approach um, to Um, addressing the elements of change in my chapter. So every chapter has a really good, interesting mix of theory as well as practical experience and and practical application.
0: I think that's what people want to see, you know, nice theory, but how does this work? Can you show me how this works? I think that's awesome. Um, Well, did you want to touch a little bit on um, on the chapter from uh, Bob Westbrook?
2: Yes, so Bob Westbrook is the uh, Inspector General for Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the relationship between The external audit and inspections community and the ERM program is a hot topic, was certainly a hot topic when we were talking about the book. I don't think that that's changed much um, in the last several years. Uh, agencies are really hesitant to give their risk registers and their, you know, beyond whatever they're going to submit to OMB as their formal risk profile, but the nuts and bolts behind that, they don't want to give that to the IG or the GAO because that sure. presents the shopping list for the upcoming fiscal year of, you know, here's my pain points come in and and, and help inflict pain on me in right. these areas. Um, so how do how do we? begin to change that relationship from adversarial to collaborative. And Bob was really a leader in that thought process at, uh, within the IG community. Um, and so we asked him to write a chapter that, that he calls Working with the IG and GAO, Creating a Win-Win Relationship. And this is some really interesting thoughts about how the two organizations can um, can. Can work collaboratively together to improve the risk management environment of the organization and the and their ability to achieve their goals and objectives, um, while remaining uh, independent and respectful of the independence that the IG and the GAO community um, have. Right. And so, uh, I think it's a it is. Um, It really provides some great food for thought about how to move beyond. um, uh, IG can be a great resource for a CRO who's having difficulty in overcoming some of the internal cultural barriers. The IG community can be a great resource to a CRO and a CFO on how effective the ERM program and the internal controls program are independently, but as importantly, how effective is the integration of those two programs? And so I I don't think CROs and risk functional managers in government typically look to the IG and the GAO as an ally and a resource, but they can be. And and Bob presents a a, a way to, to kind of flip the switch in how to think about that relationship.
0: Okay, well, you guys definitely gave us a great overview of the book. Um, really just a couple questions left. I mean, you know, I think I know the answer to this one. It's everybody listening right now, but who's the intended audience, would you say for, for this book? Who would get the, the best benefit here?
2: Well, we wrote it with uh, um, the federal ERM community primarily in mind because all of most of the contributing officers, authors um, uh, came from that community. But we included the public uh, or the county chapter, King County, Washington chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only does it provide good, uh, interesting insight for the federal RM community, but it makes the book applicable, directly applicable beyond the federal government to county, local, yeah. and, and state governments, and they're all resource-constrained and, in fact, you know, they they can't run deficits like the federal government. I think, you know, governors have to balance their budgets every year, right? So yeah. how, how do you focus those limited resources on the areas that are most important? And ERM can help. And then as we were talking to um, our, our publisher, Rutledge, um, the part of that conversation came around to, well, this, you know, the content in the book, because of the mix of theory and application, really makes a potential good text for uh, an academic course in in risk management or enterprise risk management. And so we think there's multiple audiences, academia, um, the federal government, and then the state, local, and, and county government practitioners.
0: Great. Well, I mean, really, I just want to know now is when is this book coming out and where can we find it?
2: Uh, so the preliminary is already out. Uh, um, the advance notice, notice uh, the book will be published in May. I'm told early to mid-May it will be out. Um, it should be available on Amazon at that time. Awesome. In both hard copy and uh, soft copy form. Oh, we need an audiobook now, right? I <laughs> <laughs> should record one, right? right.
0: Well, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Sean, Cynthia, Ken, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the book. Thanks for joining the show. Visit our website, AFirm.org, you'll see all our other podcasts. And be on the lookout for the, the new book. You go to Amazon.com, you can pre-order it today, actually. So yeah, it'll be available wherever you buy your books. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with AFirm.